What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. And, you know, what were they thinking about? Were they paying attention to environmental sustainability and government? Were they paying attention to, you know, how many lesbians they have on the board? Or were they making sure that my money is in the bank when I need it? Yeah. And I think, again, I think people are seeing that writing on the wall. And you're, and you're already seeing companies like Vanguard pulling back. They're not doing ESG stuff anymore. You know, they pulled out of this climate thing. The tide is definitely turning back the other way. And you're also seeing record layoffs. as reading this or in a lot of companies laying off their diversity and inclusion staff already. So that's <laughs> awesome to see, too. <laughs> okay. No, I actually didn't know that. Yeah, that's that's. Um... <laughs> That's incredible. But you know, it's that's because- a white that's a that's a, a white pill. <laughs> what is up everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So if that's a problem, kiss my ass. Okay? I am. <laughs> all right. All right, everybody. Today... Returning to the show on episode number 185. I can't believe I actually got that number right. Brian McWilliams, how you doing, dude? Yo, well, I'm doing well. I apologize to the people that are watching that I'm uh, I'm on my phone. I, I, I'm B-phoned. Maybe I'll go widescreen here. Is that any Beautiful. better? Yeah, there we go. I, uh, I got my green screen behind me. I might as well roll that up to my internet. I don't know if it's the brain in L.A., I don't know if it's the fucking computer I own. I don't know what the problem is, but yeah, it's all fucked up, man. Yeah, so, dude. Technology. I'm glad I could. Yeah, glad I could work around it and, and be here with you in one shape or form, so I can get this set up somehow, so I don't have to hold it the whole time. Hey, yeah, look at that! Look at that! <laughs> ah, dude, it looks perfect. Yeah, the uh, front delts get a little bit of work. I know. I was uh, contemplating doing that when I was on a podcast before. I'm like, man, my arms would be so sore by the end of the fucking show. I'd be, <laughs> I'd be fucking dead. So th- there's um. All sorts of shit going on. It's raining over your direction. It's snowing here in Pennsylvania. Um, nice. Marjorie Taylor Greene just signed a bill to declare war on Mexican cartels, and the <sighs> banks are failing. So, um, you know, this morning, um, just to kind of start the day off, I'm like, oh, you know what? Today feels like it's going to be a good day. Wear my snap-on hoodie, a snap-on hat. So that means I'm ready to fix some cars today. Well, <laughs> I did not, in fact, fix any cars today. And then I'm thinking, okay, well, you know what? The Republican Party seems like they're doing really, really good. And then, yeah, Marjorie Taylor Greene says, I'm proud to announce we're declaring war on the cartels with Dan motherfucking Crenshaw and all the banks. Of course. So I, I know I just kind of went in a circle there, but Jesus Christ, dude, what the fuck hope is there? Oh, <laughs> uh, man. I, I swear to God, it, the cartels thing is mind-boggling to me. It's like, all right, we're already, how many wars can we have at one time? How many fronts do we need to battle on? But also, you know, the question is always like, is this going to be extrajudicial killings? Is that, you know, how, when we say it's a war on the cartels, how do you define that? Right. Are we going to like, I know, uh, what's his face? Vivek Ramaswamy or whatever his name is, yeah. it's supposed to be running. He wants to just drone bomb the shit out of all these cartel members. Okay. 
Are you going to get warrants to do that? Are you going to have the permission from the Mexican government to do that? Are you going to, you know, how is this going to result in less violence on the borders when it comes to, you know, the cartels have quite a bit of power, firepower. They've got options. You know, it's it's like they don't have the uh, the predator drones that we do. But at the same time, are you going to be putting the lives of all the border agents in danger even more so? Of course you are. And is it going to is it going to resolve anything? Are they going to win this war? Of course they're not. I mean, it's just. <laughs> it's one of those funny things like I tweeted out because today's, uh, you know, national wage gap day where they pretend that the wage gap still exists between men and women, even though every real you know metric of this says that it doesn't. But I tweeted out that the wage gap is one of the longest running lies that's been perpetuated in our time period. And somebody else had asked me, you know, well, what are, what are some of the other ones? And without a doubt, the war on drugs is another one that, has perpetuated this lie that number one we're winning number two that we could ever win and number three that the outcome of taking actions like this do anything but harm our domestic population meanwhile enriching the cartels like all it's going to do is make them even wealthier and cause the prices of all cocaine to go up that's it (laughs) yeah dude it's it's absolutely ridiculous and it's like man the republicans seem like they learned their lessons and then yeah like all of a sudden they just got this huge hard on over bombing mexican cartels every single one of them and then you have hyperbolic claims of 300 people a day dying from fentanyl even though i i looked for that number believe me i fucking looked top the motherfucking bottom to find that number my highest i could find was 176 a day um and which don't get me wrong one's too many but like clearly we see what they're doing now like marjorie taylor green and ron santis kept throwing that number out there i'm like where are they getting this and now we see this is because you're manufacturing consent this is what they do is that they throw out hyperbolic claims which are usually unverified but they sound really good and you know most dumb motherfuckers out there aren't going to look into the shit and sometimes myself is in that category but um people don't look into (laughs) the shit and then next thing you know they say hey we're going to go bomb the shit out of these people and we're going to start a war right on the fucking border of texas And, and you know now now, no, everyone's like, yeah, fuck these cartels. They're killing all our people. Well, it's a lot more complicated than that. And once again, this always kind of goes back to, oh, well, China's sending over fentanyl here and they're hostile yeah. actor killing all our people. Like, this is just all fucking propaganda. You can die from touching fentanyl. Like, Russia. Wife, I'm not knocking on my wife, but she did believe this at one point. She works as an EMT, so I kind of get it. But though, you know, once we kind of like work through it, they're just like, oh, okay, well, I understand now. But yeah, dude, it's this shit's so fucking ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, especially like you said, like, they're shipping it over. It's not like you can't get it from all these other sources. And at the end of the day, I'm sorry, but the treatment options are going to be your better source. You know, legalizing it, treating it, finding, having clinics, having it out in the open. Like, look, the fentanyl, they're not doing anything to stop it anyway. You know, you can talk about the deaths, but at the end of the day, whether or not you go to war with cartels, someone's going to step up and provide that fentanyl. And... You can see the open air fentanyl marketplaces that are going on in every major city, every major blue city, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Los Angeles, San Francisco, you name it, they're there. In addition to kind of these, you know, these rural environments, what's being done about that? Because every program, every war on drug thing that they're doing hasn't done anything anyway, and people are content to ignore it. Like there's this great website or I guess Instagram account called Street People of Los Angeles, which all they do is document crazy zombies on fentanyl walking around or being nuts and just like they're just there the cops aren't doing anything the charitable organizations aren't doing anything the homelessness outreach people aren't doing anything and yet the solution is to take war to mexico and as you said create a war on the the texas border it's (laughs) fundamentally stupid 
Yeah. Well, one thing that you said there that I actually really liked and that I try to break down um, a lot of concepts into is this idea of the market already providing it anyways. So like <clears> a lot of people are now coming to Jesus, right? So now everybody's talking Literally about Literally and figuratively. Bad. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, porn is the worst thing in the world. And I just want to say that, yeah, I, I don't think it's good that men watch porn as much as they do, but like you're forgetting that men have a sex drive. And right now we're still trying to figure out how to navigate the marketplace. Like um, you and I, you tweeted to me after I put up my podcast that I um, recorded Sunday and put out today. We're recording and this is going to air on Thursday. I'm all <laughs> fucked up with the time travel. But uh, yeah. Um, the men have a sex drive and we're still trying to figure out how to navigate this dating marketplace. And it's not exactly easy for men today as it was, you know, years and years ago, because now women have so many options via social media. Yeah. But once again, this is just another means of achieving that porn is a way that men will satisfy their sexual urges. Am I saying that once again, every man should go home and, you know, eight o'clock, turn down the lights and turn on uh careless whisper and rub one out. No, but you know, there, there's, the demand for it. Can we talk about that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, dude, you know, it's funny. It kind of makes you think about, like you said, these, these different dating options, right? In the current marketplace that exists, it reminds me a little bit of the job marketplace, right? Where there's so many people that have, you know, it's hard for employers to find jobs and keep people around because you have so many options. People travel like it used to be. Yeah, a certain number of jobs you see in a certain area. Now everybody's traveling. Everybody can see options all over the globe. And, and that's the thing, too. It's not just limited. And there's like the geographical limitations to dating even have been erased. Look at 90 Day Fiance, for Christ's sake. I mean, people are willing to travel to find love. And, and now the standards have been gotten the, this like exceptional height where people where they used to have maybe some dumb expectations from watching rom-coms, now they think that they ha they can wait. They think they can they can hold out for the perfect match and the perfect mate, and they have all these filters to make it so, and then they're heartbroken when it doesn't work out with this perfect match that they've gone through swiping left 4,000 times to get to. Yeah. Number one, people do need to learn how to settle, right? Let's mm -hmm. agree on that. And number two, yeah, it's fine to do a little jerk-off action because, look, you start to go a little bit crazy, Right. I think people undersell the aspect of porn that is you, I mean, even, especially even if you're married, too, you get tired of not, I don't know, not exploring, not not being the man, not going out there and expressing your sexuality. And porn does help with that to get a little bit of variety in your life. At the same time, for people that aren't getting laid regularly, well, yeah, you shouldn't be shouldn't be completely giving up your lifestyle to say I'm now a I'm married to porn. It is without a doubt an outlet, and it, and on another level, it's also something to, while you could argue maybe it's not the best thing to explore your own sexuality, what you're into, what you're not into, the kinks that may exist out there. I mean, look, some people are going to be into freakier shit, and. This is a good way to find out about it, man. And then guess what? That's going to, in an odd way, expand your dating pool because there's going to be other people out there that are into freaky shit that are just going to be looking to date you and you alone because you like to get pooped on. Well, you know, let's <laughs> let's look at it that way. <laughs> You're Jesus expanding Christ. your dating pool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that, that that's not the only thing expanding either, apparently.
All right, everybody, we're going to take a little break from the show real quick to tell you about the show's sponsors. I am now working with the great Stephen Fox to bring you Fox and Sons coffee. As you can see, I got two bags right here, or for those listening, I was holding two bags. Um, it is organically roasted up in Michigan. And if you're a caffeine addict, much like myself, um, then head over to foxandsonscoffee.com to get yourself some of their fantastic coffee. They got a light roast, which I'm holding in my hand. Um, they have the Electric Boogaloo blend, which is fantastic as well. I just had it this morning. And if you're like me, you like dark roast coffee, which kicks you right in the freaking face first thing in the morning. Um, they have that for you as well. So head over to foxandsonscoffee.com. Use code Kyle, K-Y-L-E, to get yourself a little discount. Let them know that I sent you. And um, get yourself caffeinated, get jacked and tan, and do what you got to do. All right, guys, back to the podcast. Thanks. <laughs> but yeah, um, I... I there's like so much of this culture policing almost now. And I get it because it, we see these cycles go on all the time. And I think we're about to see the cycle go real hard back to the right here soon. Um, so like, you know, we had years and years and years of Obama where it was kind of like this policing of, Oh, well, you're not woke enough. Everybody's racist, anti-Semitic, you know, you name the ism and you check that box if you're a white dude or anything like that. And then you had Trump that resembled a little bit of the pushback on that. And then now we have Biden again. And now it seems like everything's kind of up in a tizzy, but right now a lot of people are starting to push on the woke button. And like, I, I get it. It, it, with woke stuff, it's kind of like you know it when you see it, but it's not always so clearly defined. The problem now is that, once again, the left pushed way too far. And then now you mm -hmm. still see all this stuff about grooming children. And is it happening a lot? Like, no one can give you a straight answer of how much this shit is happening. All I know is that when you start going for people's kids, they're going to react. And there's people out there who, you know, people say all the time, you know, straight to the wood chipper for <laughs> these kind of people. And that's kind of the reaction you're provoking out of people. Yeah, I think so. It's something where it makes me a little bit sad in a way because there is a, there is something to exposing children, depending on age, to things that are outside of the strict norm, right? But you say, okay, what age is that? And how sexualized is it, right? Because I, I don't personally have anything against, like, let's say, drag queen story hour, right? If it is a non-sexualized thing where it's a man dressed up in a fancy outfit bringing to kids, all right, man, if you think that's appropriate for your kids, that's one thing. It goes to another level when they force it into this sexualized situation where you've got the drag queens stripping, when you've got people putting dollar bills in there, where you've got sexualized uh, symbols and you've got the big, you know, the big, uh, what do you call them, cod pieces in there. There's a definitive difference, and they push the bar so far in that direction. And, and it, not only push it that direction, but defending those choices, right? That's the thing that really bothers people is the unapologetic refusal to back down and saying, yes, it's a good thing that kids are coming to see drag queens show their, you know, their naked asses and touch these, when clearly no rational person would agree with that. Right. And that instead now causes this rapid reaction of anything having to do with drag queens is bad, right? And that's the problem. That, I mean, this is the contagion that happens in society where it can poison the well for things that are in fact, you know, enjoyable. I've been to drag shows, they're fun, for adults, mm -hmm. there you know the, the origin of drag is a pretty interesting story. You know, it actually started like the black community. I mean, there's really fascinating aspects of our culture that people are now not going to be exposed to or are going to be completely 
uh, walled off to because the left has fucked this up for everybody now by pushing this to the extent that they pushed it. And that makes me really sad. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is going to come in the form of so I have two predictions. I'm curious of yours as well. Um, 2024, I think if Trump wins a nomination, which seems to me like it's becoming less and less of a possibility, I think he gets, you know, I think he gets beat by Biden again, probably by a even less narrow margin. So like a bigger margin, I think Biden would beat him out again. Um, I think if DeSantis wins a nomination, I think he's going to completely mop the floor with Biden. And a lot of people are going to be very, very like, Ooh, you know, this is our dude. And this is, you know, the right time to take back the culture. And I think with that comes, you know, massive Zionism, um, yep. this real authoritative approach to culture and, um, you know, even a crackdowns on free speech because he's been real bad on that with um, outlawing BDS down in uh, Florida. And then also yeah. been real bad on China, been real bad on South America. Um, I think this is a return to like fucking 1980s and George Bush fucking Republicanism. And a lot of people don't want to talk about that. Um, they seem to think that, you know, it's right to, you know, completely go, you know, smash the left. But like, I don't know, when people say the left, it's like this just gets thrown out there. No one ever qualifies who that is, you know, where it starts, where it stops. Because as far as I'm concerned, the left could be the union Democrat that works in a steel mill that just thinks universal health care is a good idea and maybe the rich should pay their fair share. And then also some of the left might be these crazy woke ideologues. So when you say all these people are the left, it's like this is a wide swath of people that you're just painting as the enemy for no real good reason. Now, if you want to say like the woke stuff yeah. and Joe Biden, that kind of left is the enemy. I'm with you, but I I'm afraid of the collateral damage. Well, I think it's interesting. I agree with your prediction, by the way. I do okay. not think that Trump could beat Biden in a general election. Because when you talk about something that's going to galvanize, quote unquote, the left, okay. that will galvanize the left. And not only the yeah. left, that'll galvanize independents that don't like Trump. And mm -hmm. honestly, Donald Trump's done absolutely nothing uh, that would lure even libertarians in. Because a lot of libertarians voted for Donald Trump. You know, they were lured in by the promises of what he was going to do and which none of which came to fruition. The only good thing he really did, I guess, two things. First Step Act. And derate well, first step deregulation a bit, and also refusing to launch the missile attack on Syria when he actually had the gall to ask how many innocent civilians would be killed mm -hmm. and decided no, it's not worth bombing Syria because of this made up gas attack. Now, he has done nothing to assuade anyone's concerns about him, and in fact, has doubled down. He seemed to have gotten more petty, a little bit more insecure than ever. So, yeah, he is poison now on the DeSantis side of thing. I think when we talk about the left. It's odd because I think that the current situation under Biden has actually created more leftists that we would actually consider to be more allied with our cause. Yes, yes. You know, and there's there is a danger there. I guess oh, there's a there's a upside and downside to the Sanders. A lot of parents, because we're talking about you come for the kids, that's where people get turned away. DeSantis has attracted a lot of supporters in regards to what he's done anti-CRT, mm -hmm. anti-the um, you know, drag queen stuff, because people just don't want that exposed to their children, and they appreciate it, and they understand the nuances. But at the same time, as many people as drawn towards him, if he did get in office, and I do think he would beat Biden by a large margin, every complaint you have about him is exactly right. And I did the same thing laying the, that out with Tho Bishop, who was a big you know, GOP, kind of GOP libertarian hybrid. And a huge DeSantis guy, big Florida man. I laid that exact argument out. I was like, look, this man is a neocon. He is a 
throw Israel to the hilt, you know, like he's authoritarian. And while there's some things to like about him, I wonder if his getting back in office would actually resuscitate a bit of the anti-war left. Can, and even as, as leftists were drawn to him, they may actually continue to be drawn towards libertarianism more because coming off of the Ukraine situation, coming off of worries about China and seeing what's happening with inflation and spending, people may just go, this is crazy too. And look, once you get down that path where you're open up a little bit to our thinking, yeah. then it's just, I mean, it's easy to, as we said, <laughs> when we're talking about the dating and, and uh, you know, your fetishes, it's easy to, to expand that hole that now is, <laughs> is opened up. Yeah. And I mean, I, that's, so that's where in a way as concerned as I might be with some of DeSantis's leanings, I think that there could be a lot of upside for us leveraging what people already have liked about him and then flipping that switch and saying, look, he's bad on this, but you're going down the right path. Let me tell you a little bit more about what we got to say here. Uh, okay. Yeah. You brought up some really, really interesting points there. So um, yeah, you were kind of like bringing up the Overton window and I, I do agree because I do see a lot of leftists who I think kind of what happened with 2020 and I have to be careful how I word this because you can't question um, the thing that happens every yeah, single four years yeah, or else you will the get results. the video pulled. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So, um, yeah. I think what happened was um, a lot of people saw the craziness in 2020 and they saw how Trump acted in the debates and he was more unhinged than like usual. And oh, a yeah. lot of people thought that, okay, well, Biden's saying that we're going to return to normal. So I trust him and we see what's going on right now. I'll just pull the lever for him. And I'm sure there were even Trump supporters that were like, dude, what's going on right now? And my synopsis of the event for people like my age, you know, in their late, you know, maybe early to late twenties is they're saying like, He's telling me everything's great, but like all these businesses I know closed, I can't afford to get a house. I can't afford to pay my student loan payments. Cars are unaffordable. The economy's wrecked, but I'm told that everything's great. Um, I, I can't continue on this path. So they voted for Biden, even though I think that was the wrong choice, at least out of these two. Um, I think that's where a lot of people just kind of went. And then as he's starting to like attack DeSantis, he even said Charlie Crist was better than DeSantis. I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> dude, you are like, every, he's taking a lot of L's, like going on the vaccine tour and bringing Johnson and Johnson yep. out. Like, just a lot of this stuff has been very, very surprising for me. And now I do have to give him credit because he did say, oh, I would negotiate to end the Ukrainian war. And this would have never happened on my watch. First of all, I don't believe that because he sent the arms in back in 2020. Uh, yeah, 2020. But yeah then, that's what he got his first, uh, his first impeachment over. Yeah, yeah. I, I just – at least it sounds good. And he, to his credit, is the only president that's actually like talking about negotiating – and and to it, the rest of the GOP is just kind of hand waving, saying, "Oh, well, we need to go focus on Mexico and the cartels." Trump, to his credit, didn't do that. So, yeah, yeah. I, I once again, I think we're both in agreement. Yeah, Trump loses, but seemingly he's actually the best candidate. But when it comes to like um, DeSantis, he seems to have a knack for talent that Trump didn't have. You know, like DeSantis can really pick people and he's able to yeah. fire people. Trump just didn't seem to know what the fuck was going on. Yeah. I mean, DeSantis is, I give his press secretary a lot of credit. Actually, I was trying to get him on my show and uh, he got back to me just saying it's too crazy right now, which I understand. But, yeah. you know, no matter what you might think of DeSantis, his strategy, the press strategy has been a brilliant one. Yes. The way they handle the media, the way they play the media to get their advantage. It's Trump-like in a way in that the stuff he puts out, like that, you know, the Top Gun video he put out, where it's <laughs> him, you know, by talking about the media and 
I can't remember what it was top uh I don't know, top gov. Top gov, that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> it got so much coverage. It drove the left insane. The media covered to the ends of the earth, and he didn't have to do anything about it. At the same time, they've now cut off uh I think all of NBC because of Andrea Mitchell going out and saying that DeSantis had said they're not allowed to teach slavery in schools, which is patently untrue, 100% untrue. But because they refused to issue a formal retraction, now they're cut off. They're not going to talk to NBC. And they don't need to talk to NBC. Mm -hmm. At the same time, the way he's responded to Trump or a lack of response to Trump is also brilliant because all it's doing is giving the man who gets coverage for anything he says in Donald Mm -hmm. Trump, it's giving Trump's ability to get DeSantis in the news cycle all of this leverage because DeSantis doesn't have to do anything but sit back. His name's still in the media. People are still fighting the fighting the fight for him. And the mainstream, you know, like Fox News, Fox Business, they don't want they don't like Donald Trump. So they're team DeSantis. They're gonna defend him for DeSantis's team. He doesn't have to do anything. He's still in the news cycle. In the meantime, Donald Trump looks even more unhinged. Trump was going after his book sales, for Christ's sake. His book, like, who cares? Who cares if, if, if Ron DeSantis' book is selling more copies than your book, Trump? Like, goddamn. So Trump looks psychotic. At the same time, he's just being played like a fiddle. So, yeah, to your point, I do think that DeSantis is a much better eye for talent. And, I mean, Donald Trump, the talent he brought in, if you could even call it that, was unbelievably awful. I mean, John Bolton is sitting in there, for Christ's sakes. What do you need to say anymore? And not that I think anybody's going to talk to Santa's out of what he's going to do, but yeah, I, I agree with you that he's got much better people. He would run a much better campaign, but I don't think that DeSantis, I don't know. I, to me, I don't know if DeSantis has a, a clean path to that because Trump's already got such a built-in base of like, it's like 40% of the GOP is already Trump. Right. And now you got DeSantis, you got um, the uh, the governor from uh, Virginia saying he's going to run. I'm blanking on his name right now. No, I don't um, know his name either. God, I, I it's like right at the tip of my brain. He's going to run. You got you got Nikki Haley in the race. Yeah, Maple Loud Swami, as you were saying earlier. Vivek- yeah. Ramaswamy, yeah, yeah, drone bomb Magoo. So you got all these guys now, and it's going to make it ugly for primary season. And I was listening to uh, this guy named John Ziegler, who's been on our show a lot, talking about Penn mm-hmm. State stuff. Yeah. He had uh, an interesting point about how these people are going to interact and how a lot of these candidates aren't going to attack Trump because you don't want to piss off Trump's people. So you got to play nice with Trump. And meanwhile, who are they going to attack? They're going to attack DeSantis because he's fair game. Mm-hmm. He's the next big dog. So they're still chipping away at a big dog. But at the same time, all it's doing is strengthening Trump because you're going to take out his number one competitor. So I don't know, man. I, I'm very worried that Trump is going to be the nominee. And it's just going to be the blowout that we predict for Biden. Yeah, I see. The one interesting thing is that um, DeSantis, when he debated Chris, um, he's normally like very focused and like like a freaking laser. And that's one thing mm-hmm. that you give DeSantis because I remember watching the one news thing. He says, where does it say that in the bill? Where does it say that in the bill? I mean, he nails people to the wall. But in that Charlie yeah. Chris debate, when he said, answer the question, if you won't run or if you're going to run for president and he froze, he had his face. He looked scared. And like that, if he does that to Trump, he's done. I mean, he yeah. will get leveled if he can't be on his toes against Trump. Now, one part of me says that he's going to have a good enough staff underneath him because, as we were saying, he has that kind of eye for talent. I think he's going to have all his fucking punch cards ready. And if it comes to COVID, then 
what are you going to say to him? I mean, yeah. DeSantis yeah. will eat him alive. But once again, if DeSantis isn't ready to kind of take the blows, I think he's done for. But I think if he plays his cards right and he builds a team underneath him, I think this Trump-DeSantis fight could be really interesting. But either way, I, I want to see the bloodbath. I want to see them two yeah, fight oh, to the hell. It'll be very entertaining. Yeah. You know, part of me, excuse me, I was actually going to look this up, is to see what, if anything, DeSantis has done within the financial realm, regulatory realm. Because I'm wondering if Trump's going to try to use the bank collapses that have just happened to do anything in regards to the Fed, to anything in regards to banking regulations, et cetera, and try to position himself as, well, you know, I'm the guy that's going to fight against this. I'm the I'm the financial mogul, blah, 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 yeah. to try to get an inroad. Because right now, Ukraine, uh, China, he's always been, I guess, I don't know, tough on, tough on China, but I guess Ukraine, China, and possibly the banks issue could be what he could run on. And... Otherwise, if it's COVID, you said he's a dead duck. And I, but I think that by the time, and give mainstream media credit for this and government, by the time we get to the elections, COVID may well be so far in the rearview mirror that it's not going to matter. Yeah, it's kind of crazy to think that that's that far away because it does feel like these last three years were kind of a fucking blur. But um, yeah. I do feel like they're probably going to battle with that a little bit, but I think, like you said, it's going to be mostly the banks, um, depending on how big of a deal this is. Um, it, it's so hard to tell right now just because everything's so new, and to be honest, I haven't paid an insane amount of attention. Um, and then obviously the Ukraine war, and then it seems like they're probably going to be talking about the drug cartels, and then obviously the China and yeah. Taiwan issue, and then probably even Iran a little bit. And I would say maybe like some of the culture war stuff, like the uh, you know the drag queen story hour stuff. I think those are going to kind of be the subjects of debate. And maybe there's stuff out there right now that we're just not even considering right now. But like Trump has laid well, out the dollar. I mean, that's yeah. the the existence of the dollar as the reserve currency may very well be at the top of the list. <laughs> um, I know you're saying you're, you're paying that close attention to the bank stuff, but that's the right now. I mean, a real risk we run is that when you have this massive inflation going on, when you have them printing it now, they're talking about more bailouts and matching bank funds for failing banks and double, but you're talking trillions more dollars. And the reserve currency status of the dollar is definitely in doubt, especially with Russia and China getting pushed together yeah. and possibly talking about, and also China just brokered. You know, a uh, a ceasefire Peace, agreement, yeah. Uh, yeah, between Saudi Arabia and so Saudi Arabia, of course, number one backer of the dollar as a reserve currency mm -hmm. for oil. That might be something where Donald Trump goes, "I can negotiate to get the dollar, you know, keep the dollar as reserve currency." So that very well may be it. And I, you know, and it, you brought up a good point too about I forgot that Donald Trump also didn't he threaten the the death penalty for drug yeah, dealers? death penalty for drug dealers yeah i completely forgot yeah, about that so. actually yeah <laughs> i forgot about that until right now so yeah he's horrible in the drug world but he and DeSantis would probably link up on that and be in agreement <laughs> yeah sadly um so one cool thing that i kind of wanted to get your opinion on that uh happened i don't know how much you paid attention to it but the uh, rage against the war machine rally um you were talking mm -hmm. about how leftists kind of being more towards our overton window um, is a good thing. I think this kind of showed that we can do that. And a lot of people fucking poo-pooed it, but you know, fucking suck my dick, get the fuck over it. Um, <laughs> I'm all for kind of making inroads wherever possible at this point. And I come from, you know, a very, very blue collar background. So, I mean, I work with all fucking boomer cons who are going to ride or die with the Republican party, no matter what. Um, I'm interested in seeing and talking to new people who 
perhaps come from a different background, kind of like, you know, more left-leaning people. So um, I don't know what your thoughts were about the Rage Against War Machine rallying, these kind of co- coalitions that are seeming to form and kind of if you see any hope there. I mean, I definitely do see a lot of hope there. A lot of people were pissed off about it, as you said. A lot of people were whining that they shouldn't have done it with this organization. And, you know, it looks terrible to side this, you know, a group that supports socialism. Look, number one, um, this was the biggest anti-war causal rally that the Libertarian Party's ever been associated with, to my knowledge. Mm -hmm. So if you can do it better... Go ahead and organize your own rally. Until then, shut the fuck up and, you know, maybe wait and see how it goes. Because, it, you know, the one thing I'd say it didn't get, it didn't get the coverage you would have hoped for, right? It got some mentions of Rachel Maddow, it got a little mention here and there. It didn't get massive media coverage, which was too bad. Now, that may be a product, though, of what it was. Number one, Libertarian Party, mainstream media hate libertarians. They don't want to cover them unless it's embarrassing. So they're probably shy to cover it. Number two, when you've got the leftist side of things, well, what do you got? Okay, maybe they would have covered it if it was purely socialist rally. But again, the Libertarian Party pushing them away. Conservatives don't want to cover it because we're allied with the socialist, you know, what, what was it? The, uh, I can't remember the name of the, the group. The People's Party, uh, I think it was. The People's Party. Yeah, the People's yeah. Party. So they don't want to cover it. And plus, of course, we all know that anti-war is against established narratives anyway. Yeah. That being said... Still, you had a group of people with very different outlooks economically get together for a cause, and you did have a peaceful interaction between those two groups. And I'm sure there was a lot of conversation over a rally that was going on that long. I mean, yes, you're going to have some people there with Russian flags, which happened, and unfairly, people were criticizing Angela McArdle because she was speaking and somebody held up a Russian flag. But again, you can't control. We're talking about free people. We're talking about libertarianism and the People's Party, you know, we're talking about people that don't want to be authoritarian. You're not going to tackle somebody that runs behind you with a Russian flag. All right, guys. Um, I'm absolutely thrilled with the uh, show's new sponsor. Um, I'm now sponsored and uh, have an affiliate through LMNT Electrolytes. Um, I have used these electrolytes for years. Um, back when I used to do a lot of fasting, in fact, I used to drink... Sometimes I want to say up to seven a day, seven little packets. So um, the packets are full of all the electrolytes that you need to perform and hydrate yourself properly. Um, you need sodium for pretty much every single function in your body, despite what um, a lot of people may tell you. Um, sodium doesn't actually cause a lot of the issues that uh, people kind of would have you believe. So um, just real quick to give you a little bit of facts. Um, you don't need sugar to hydrate. Electrolytes and water don't require glucose to pass through the gut. The average American consumes over 60 pounds of sugar a year. And um, when it comes to athletic performance, um, you can actually lose up to seven grams per day in hot climate. So um, make sure you click on the affiliate link below to get all your hydration needs. And like I said, I'm super stoked to have these guys um, teamed up with the podcast and uh, just make sure you get your uh, electrolytes through Element. All right, guys, thanks. That's not gonna fucking happen. And it's not responsible for people to try to paint it as a pro-Russian event because I think they did a good job of coordinating an event. And I think that while optically it may say, you know what, 
maybe they shouldn't align with somebody called the People's Party because we talk about anti-communist, anti-socialist all the time. When you talk about specifics like anti-war, you need to have coalitions to move the bar. Because guess what? No one fucking cares what libertarians have to say about most things. You have to have enough of a, of a groundswell of people there to get this movement started, especially, as you said, when you're up against something like the war, the war machine, which is bought by mainstream media, which is bought by you know, all the politics. So you better make some friends along the way. And guess what? Your friends might not be the best looking, but you need to have them there with you. This is not going to do anything. Yeah, no, no, I agree completely. And I uh, put out a few tweets kind of pissed off because a lot of people were disingenuously saying that Angela was like this pro-Russian speaker with the Russian flags behind her. And um, Scott Horton laid it out pretty well. He said he talked to the one guy who had a Russian flag. He's like, hey, what's this peace deal look like? Like this dude's asking for a peace deal. And just mm -hmm. like the straight up gaslighting. It was like literally everybody went into this wanting this event to fail. And like yeah. – I don't know, dude. I can't get with the fucking Doomer mindset. I know I asked earlier in the podcast if there was any hope. Um, I do think there's plenty of hope. <laughs> and seeing shit like this, talking to people like you and all the other people in this podcasting Liberty Sphere gives me hope all the time because I realize that there's a lot more of us than we know. And then plus the interactions we have with people on Twitter. Um, So I think there's a lot of hope. But I think events like these kind of give you something to look forward to. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually – Every day, I mean, there's ups and downs. I, I'm concerned about the state of the financial system in the United States. But at the same time, when you have bank failures like this, despite all the regulations, despite all the money and the bailouts and the Fed and all these supposed gatekeepers that are supposed to keep everybody safe, people are waking up to just how inept, incompetent and corrupt everything around them is. You know, it gives us a great opportunity to talk about the Federal Reserve and how the Federal Reserve is 100% responsible for the current situation, how fractional reserve banking is poison, how the Fed exists and has always existed to create bailouts for government to spend, to go to war, to bail out banks and give them no, you know, it's, it can basically assure that the moral hazard is not there. They have no risk involved. It has always been that way from the history of its foundation back in Jekyll Island. Now, in addition to that, you've got the stuff coming out about masks. In addition to that, you have the stuff coming up uh, about the mRNA and myocarditis. In addition to that, you've got people that are pissed off seeing the corruption in Ukraine, seeing the pointlessness of the war. In addition to that, you're seeing the failures of the war on drugs. All of this is positive because it is saturating everything right now. And because the people we have to give a shit about, and I was just talking about this on my show, the people we have to give a shit about are not the boomers that are watching CNBC and watching MSNBC or watching even Tucker Carlson, although he's got the younger demographic at least tuning in. The people we need to give a shit about are people that are listening to the podcast like ours, that are on Twitter, that are on TikTok, and generating content for them and trying to reach those people. And guess what? It's working, man. It is working because they do not trust nor believe nor seek out mainstream media. They are outside of the bubble that's in that slipstream of government bought and paid for narratives. And these people are waking up. They can't not wake up because literally you look around, we're swimming in a fishbowl right now of truth. I think beyond any other point in history, you can find truth more easily. And that shit is vital. I mm -hmm. do. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and like with the banker bailout stuff that we're probably going to see, it's like, you. Oh, yeah. Pull, it's already done. 
yeah, you can't pull this shit off again without people realizing, like, holy fuck, the emperor has no clothes. Like, we sent $113 billion to Ukraine for <laughs> welfare pigs, cocaine, and arms, <laughs> and we're paying people's pensions over there, and then now yep. you're going to bail out all these bankers when people are dealing with probably what is double-digit inflation for the last three years consistently. Um, People are going to start to get pissed off, and people are going to be like, okay, well, what the fuck's going on, and what can we do to stop this? Because it's absolute insanity when you see the richest motherfuckers probably on the face of the planet get their wallets padded while average people like you and i have to suffer and see those motherfuckers walk away scot-free after all these people's savings deposits just crash i mean how can you not look at that and say like what the fuck is going on here yeah dude exactly i mean it, with the saving or the uh, Silicon Valley Bank situation, yeah, you got people lining up to try to get their money out. And what, now, granted, their money, smaller people's money, is insured by the FDIC, which again is another you know, you can Ponzi scheme. Right. But the FDIC supports it so they can get their money. But yeah, entrepreneurs, you know, these companies that they can't get the cash out that are just completely fucked. Now, I don't know if you heard about this, but they're going to do. They already have it in place. It's like a done deal where they're going to match funds on the asset sheets, right? So asset sheets and the balances and the banks and all this other crap, they're going to match on par, basically dollar for dollar, whatever these people show them they have as assets, meaning mortgage securities, all this other crap. The garbage assets that supposedly made Freddie and Fannie Mac so big, that's what they're going to do for bailouts. And they're saying it's a loan, right, until they pay them back, but we all know what that means. So yeah, (laughs) your average person seeing that, plus they're seeing this bank spend $5 billion on, you know, ESG, diversity, inclusionary nonsense from the risk management chair touting it. And then at the same time, just goes tits up overnight. And you go, what were they thinking about? Were they paying attention to environmental sustainability and government? Were they paying attention to, you know, how many lesbians they have on the board? Or are they making sure that my money is in the bank when I need it? Yeah. And I think, again, I think people are seeing that writing on the wall. And you're, and you're already seeing companies like Vanguard pulling back. They're not doing ESG stuff anymore. You know, they pulled out of this climate thing. The tide is definitely turning back the other way. And you're also seeing record layoffs. I was reading this sort of in a lot of companies laying off their diversity inclusion staff already. So that's awesome <laughs> to see, too. <laughs> okay. No, I actually didn't know that. Yeah, that's that's. Um... <laughs> That's incredible, but you know it's that's because... a white that's a that's a, a white pill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, dude, it definitely is because, um, you know, those are the jobs that they that people realize like, what the fuck are we paying you for? We're paying right. you all this money to just kind of tone police people and tell them that you know exactly. you, you don't hate yourself enough because you're a white guy or you know you didn't <laughs> bow down and say that we should all pay reparations. Like those, uh, I'm yeah. glad those jobs are the first jobs on the chopping block because oh hell um, yeah. you know times are going to get tough and rates are going to keep rising so that means once again they're gonna have to lay more people off because banks and you know these businesses can no longer afford easy money so it's going to be down to people who can actually produce stuff and really that's what the country needs is leaders and people who are going to be prosperous and leaders of their community to kind of steer us back in the right direction because it it does start with us yeah exactly right man i mean that's why it's so interesting to see some of the entrepreneurs coming out of our space right now um you know because there's a guy that we actually had on the show, Hermosa Chips. You know, he's starting a new chip company yeah, that's seed that. oil free. And, and it's like the more stories we have about that, the people that are making a difference, making change, you know, creating art. Like there's a guy that works at Free the People. I'm going to have on my show that just did a, uh, it's got like a graphic novel coming out. Like 
creating art, creating business, creating anything that can touch people in a meaningful fashion, they can touch and hold and say, look, this guy's doing it. That's going to also impact culture. And, and impacting cultures goes beyond just art. I mean, a business impacts culture. Look what's going on with Twitter. I mean, for that, you know, you've got Elon Musk who's a libertarian, self-proclaimed, and I don't blame him for taking advantage, by the way, of tax subsidies. What You'd be stupid not to. Right. But you've got a libertarian now that's adjusting culture by, by being an entrepreneur, by creating, by buying, by changing, by making things better. And that alone, his, his existence alone may take us farther than anything else. But if nothing else, I just hope it inspires another generation of people to think like him, to be like him, and to identify as libertarian in their pursuits. So fingers crossed. Yeah, dude. Um, I don't know how this all plays out. I'm, as usual, I'm a pretty optimistic person, and I see bright things in the future. I don't know what the liberty movement looks like for 2024. Um, I don't know what it looks like in 2026, but um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of reason to have hope. And I think as long as we kind of keep doing the things that you're saying, as in being entrepreneurs, being leaders, and spreading this message, um, you know, that's all that we can do, and obviously bolster our own families and um, the people around us um, against this stuff that's being pushed on us, and hopefully wake up enough people to kind of you know, the fact that the emperor has no clothes at this point. So I know you had a little bit of a time constraint. So um, dude, if you don't got anything else, um, go ahead and plug away. Nah. Yeah. Thanks, man. I was awesome. Having you, uh, having a joint. Ah. I almost said having you on at a force of <laughs> yeah. habit from hosting. This is how you host the show. You go into like your end of the show, wrap up monologue. <laughs> it was great coming on your show. Uh -huh. Thank you for having me again, dude. Always a pleasure. Uh, yeah, sorry, sorry for the uh, you know the little video on the phone, but hopefully it sounds fine. It looks fine. Um, yeah, you can find me at Brian McWilliams on Twitter. You can follow us at, at Lions of Liberty for the Lions of Liberty Network. We have three shows a week. Uh, one of the one of the one of the top OG podcasts out there. I am uh, currently kind of rebranding myself and, and trying to think uh, as a what I'm calling a freedom futurist. That is how I'm looking at the world. That's um, how Mean Age Daydream, my Wednesday show, is now focused. I'm trying to think of ways philosophically, technologically, culturally that we can change and promise people a better future by looking ahead and thinking what can be possible by applying what we know to be true and what we think can be true within the merits of what we believe in. So that is freedom futurism that I'm working on. And um, yeah, please subscribe to us and uh, listen to the boring podcast, my comedy show too. B-O-H-R-I-N-G. I promise you it's very fun. Nice. All right, dude. Well, um, I appreciate you taking the time today. Um, always awesome to chat with you and uh, obviously your uh, brother, John, and I really enjoyed your, um, the uh, new lines of Liberty. It's uh, very, very interesting. And it kind of is like a blast from the past for me, which I just absolutely love. I remember <laughs> being a kid looking at all of those memes. So yeah, dude, um, like I said, thanks for coming on and, um, you know, hopefully everyone um, goes, checks out your stuff. Cause I know I enjoy your podcast and everything else, dude. Awesome. Thank you, Kyle. I'll talk to you soon, my brother. See you.